0: It says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus father we ask as we continue now in our worship by opening the word of God that is an act of worship Lord we would genuinely want to hear what you would say to us as our God as our savior as our Lord we pray that you would speak to us write your will under the fleshly tablet of our hearts speak to us through your word give us a desire to want to hear your voice and prepare us accordingly we ask bless your word and speak by your spirit we pray in jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated you know how important is loyalty to you in your life i hope That it ranks up there pretty high among virtues that are important, especially given the fact that from what I see in my observation in our current generation, it's kind of really sad to see that loyalty seems to be kind of a lost virtue, sort of a dying quality among humanity that loyalty seems to be of very little importance anymore among humanity now if you aren't familiar just to perhaps validate it let me remind you loyalty refers to by way of definition showing firm constant support Uh, it shows to allegiance it speaks of allegiance and strong allegiance things like being faithful being dedicated being devoted This is the idea of what loyalty represents, and in our passage this morning, we see references, examples to loyalty. The first thing that's spoken about is really the loyalty of God to us, and Paul speaks about that. Then in turn, he'll begin to almost say in a responsive way that there is loyalty that we should demonstrate towards the things of God, the gospel message and the things the Lord has entrusted to us in our own lives, that that we should hold fast to sound doctrine and what's important regarding the things of God. He then speaks about as well where the power and ability actually comes from for a person, to actually remain loyal. How do we remain loyal? Loyalty is difficult sometimes, but he speaks about where the strength comes from to do that. He also speaks as well, we'll see in verse 15, about the reality that sometimes we're gonna endure the heartbreak of people not remaining loyal to us and what it feels like when someone is disloyal. And then lastly, he'll speak about the beauty and the value of one personal example, of when an individual actually does demonstrate loyalty to another person. So look with me, if you would, as we begin to move forward here, where Paul says there in verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Now remember our backdrop. Paul had just exhorted Timothy reminding him that to some degree, personal suffering was going to be attached to his belief in the gospel message of Jesus Christ and his willingness to share the message of the gospel. And he exhorted Timothy, remember, he said not to allow himself to become ashamed of the Lord Jesus, nor to be ashamed of Paul, who he was in association with. And at this time, remember, Paul is a prisoner in a dungeon in Rome and was on death row. And Paul exhorted Timothy not to be ashamed of these things. And now he then says in verse 12, for this reason, Timothy, I also suffer these things. In other words, Paul was fully aware that the specific reason he was suffering as a prisoner in a dark, unpleasant condition of a underground Roman dungeon cell He says, the reason, and that word there, the reason, points back to verse 11. The reason, he says, for this is, look at verse 11, that Paul was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So, Paul wasn't questioning, why am I going through this hard time in my life? He knew specifically the reason he was sitting in that dungeon, suffering in unpleasant conditions, was specifically connected to something for this reason and he points back to verse 11 as the reason the fact that he was appointed to and was being faithful to being a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the gentiles paul remember wanted to minister the bible tells us to the jews and in fact paul thought very strongly that he was the most well-suited man for that job i mean paul was thoroughly convinced my life, my experiences, my connection to the Jews, all the interaction I had among the Jewish culture, he was thoroughly convinced in his heart and his mind that he was the absolute perfect vessel to be the one to minister to the Jews. And yet God spoke to Paul and clarified to him, Paul, I know you may think that, but your assignment is actually going to be to a different group of people, to the Gentiles. Maybe that was because Paul felt so confident he'd be good with the Jews. That's why he maybe might not have been too good with the Jews. But with the Gentiles, he felt like, Lord, the Gentiles, a Gentile is anyone who's non-Jewish. But, he, the, but that he became the apostle predominantly to the Gentile people. And again, pointing this reality that Jesus sent Paul to the people that he wanted Paul. To minister to and paul had to simply accept his assignment from the lord he didn't get to design his assignment he accepted his assignment went where the lord sent him and faithfully obeyed that calling but that commission to serve as a preacher and a teacher to do that missions work among the gentile people was not going to be easy in fact in acts chapter 9 jesus specifically said of paul's ministry calling that he would suffer many things For my sake, Jesus said. And as Paul lived out his life and he was loyal to the Lord and to that work of the Lord, he fully understood that calling was going to include personal suffering. And that's why he says here in verse 12, I know that it's for this reason, being loyal to this calling God gave me, I know, he says, it's for this reason I'm suffering these things, what I'm enduring through. But notice Paul then follows up with a reference to the loyalty of the Lord. This is what he speaks about here as he goes on in verse 12. For this reason, I suffer these things. But he says, nevertheless, in spite of that, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So in the midst of his suffering, Paul expresses there, verse 12, this confident assurance in the loyalty of the Lord him a confident assurance of the loyalty of the lord to him paul says look at it there in the text i am not ashamed in other words i'm not embarrassed i'm not intimidated he says i'm not disgraced to suffer through the hard things i'm going through he says there for i know whom i have believed that is put my full confidence in where my total reliance is the place I've put all my trust in and whom I've believed. Notice, if you would, in the text, he does not say, I know what I have believed, but he says, I know whom I have believed not what I have believed. In other words, a system of works or a philosophy of helpful ideas or a set of spiritual uh, you know, mandates or truths. Now, that's not to say that Paul did not value highly accurate, sound doctrine and truth from God's word. Uh, that's not to say that Paul didn't have a strong allegiance and trust in accurate theological truths from the word of God. He esteems sound doctrine in these very next verses. The next verse, he's gonna say, hold fast to sound words or sound doctrine. So it's not to say Paul didn't value the importance of accuracy of truth. He was used by the Lord to establish many fundamental truths of New Testament doctrine. However, that being said, Paul's primary confidence, take note, was not in something It was in someone. Paul says, it's not that I'm confident because I know what I've believed. He says, I am confident, persuaded because I know whom I have believed in, whom I've put my full reliance in, whom I've put all my trust in. His faith and confidence was in Jesus. His full reliance for his salvation his full reliance for his eternal destiny was upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what Paul is expressing in the midst of his hardship and tough realities. The root of this man's trust was in a person. It wasn't in a program. It wasn't in a, a bunch of religious policies and and, and and a system of philosophy. It was it was in a person. It was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul put his full reliance in as Savior and Lord. And I'll tell you, the reason is because Paul knew that Jesus is reliable and that Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never fails and he never forsakes that he is a constant anchor, the rock of ages, and reliable. And so Paul says, I'm persuaded because of who he is. I'm I'm confident and reliant, he says, fully certain, absolutely persuaded and sure that he says that he, look at the text, that he is able to keep he is able to keep. That word keep is a military term. It speaks of guarding and preserving something with military power. That he's able to keep and guard, he says there, verse 12, what I have committed to him. What was it that Paul had committed to Jesus? His life. That's what Paul committed to Jesus. The entirety of his life, every part of his being, He had committed himself entirely, his life, his eternal future. He had committed himself fully unto Jesus and made a total commitment of himself to the Lord. And so he says, I'm persuaded he's able to fully keep and preserve my heart, my soul, my eternal destiny. He says, until look at the end of verse 12, until that day, that day. Now, Paul knew that those he was writing to understood what he was referring to. That is a reference there that day to the special eternal day when a believer meets the Lord Jesus Christ and actually is in the presence of the Lord in heaven to be rewarded for how they serve the Lord. Paul's going to say in the end of the letter, 2 Timothy 4, This, he's going to say, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm about to die. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, listen, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Again, same term, that day. This special, unique day when the believer passes into eternity whether by our physical death or by what the Bible refers to as the, you know, the, the, the catching away of the saints, the rapture, the, this event that we speak of when Jesus, prior to his second coming to this earth, has set up his kingdom literally and prior to the tribulation period where the judgment of God will be poured out on this earth for seven years, that Jesus is going to rapture, immediately remove and catch away all saints, All true believers will be snatched off of the earth instantaneously. So whether it's by our death physically or through the rapture of all the true Christians being taken off this earth into the presence of the Lord before the judgment of God is poured out. It's an appointed day where we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, again, this has nothing to do with us being granted access into heaven. We've already been granted access into heaven. It's not a judgment of our eternal condition. We are in the presence of the Lord. It is a judgment seat, the Bema seat, often referred to by the language of Christ. It's a judgment regarding rewarding followers of Christ for how they've lived since they've become a Christian. The idea is how well you ran your race and how faithful you were to the calling the Lord gave you as a follower of him. It's a judgment of rewards for how we've lived since we've been a Christian and we're rewarded according to how faithfully we serve the Lord and how fruitful we were on the earth for the kingdom of God. The same way the athlete as they run their race afterwards remember the olympics were not too long ago after the athletes compete then they have a time of of receiving the rewards the giving out of the medals and this was common in the greek games in the early olympics where there were judges that presided over the event made sure that you did everything according to to the rules and the standards and then at the end the judges you'd appear before the judgment seat the bema seat the judges would then give out the rewards the reefs the you know know the 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 things that would adorn those for how well they did how well they performed this is the idea that there is coming a day when we will stand before jesus we have access into heaven but we'll be rewarded according to how well we live for the lord how faithful and fruitful of a christian we sought to be first corinthians 3 speaks of it let me read to you from there it says now if anyone builds on a foundation that foundation is christ alone If you build on the foundation then with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's, listen, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work on which he is built endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So the Bible speaks that there is coming a day for us as Christians when we are going to, once we have access into heaven, stand before the, the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ and he will evaluate us for how we live for Jesus. Were we a faithful Christian? Were we a fruitful Christian? Or were we a carnal Christian? Were we someone who our soul was saved, but we had a wasted life afterwards? Were we someone who lived for Jesus and had an impact for the kingdom of God? Or did we know Jesus but just live for ourselves and just sought to impact making our life better on the good old earth? And our our lives and our works are going to be evaluated, tested by the fires of the Lord that will prove out. Is it good, you know, uh, quality gold, silver, or is it just wood, hay and stubble that all just kind of goes up and it will be evaluated? And he says here, those who who did that, which was good and fruit, there will be rewards given. This is what Paul's talking about. Rewards given out. And he says, others what they did which was basically of no worth at all very little it'll just be burned up and he says they themselves he says their work will be burned they'll suffer loss but yet be saved yet those through fire in other words the indication is like some believers are going to get in by the the and seat of their pants you're saved by faith but you may smell like smoke for a little while you got in but phew you guys still smoking he just got in. He, faith alone. Praise the Lord for that, right? By grace and through faith, we're saved. But no reward. Nothing of... And, well, I don't care about crowns. You will when you're in heaven. I don't care. I don't care about crowns. I just want to go to heaven. I don't care about crowns. We're well, going to feel really weird when we're all standing around the throne of God casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus and you're going, can I borrow yours? Please? just one time i want to try it that's why we faithfully live for jesus and paul says it's that day that one day we're going to stand before the lord and it's with that idea of describing that day paul says i'm persuaded he says that whom i believed is able to keep what i have committed to him until that day that eternal day what paul's declaring there is is he's expressing how comforted he was that he was fully confident that Jesus would remain faithful to him until that special eternal day. He's saying, from the day that I got saved until the day I'm standing in his presence there, you know, answering for my Christian life, he says, from the moment I made a commitment to the Lord until that day I stand before my Lord, Jesus is going to remain faithful to me. He's going to keep me and help me and he's able. And from this, I think, verse 12, we we can learn a a few lessons for ourselves. One of them being is the root and basis of our belief, according to what Paul says there, should not be technically in something. It should be in someone. Paul said, I know whom I have believed not that we shouldn't believe the truths of the scriptures but the thing our confidence should be in spiritually eternally should be the person of the savior the lord jesus christ that our confidence and faith our reliance for the forgiveness of sin our our Confidence in the fact that we are going to have access into heaven at some point after our life on earth is over, that faith and confidence must be, listened in Jesus, in the person of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And listen, don't overlook this subtle but yet very critical distinction that, that salvation comes through a person. A doctrine didn't die on the cross for you. A set of philosophical ideas didn't give up his life for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. A church didn't die on the cross for you. A pastor didn't die on the cross for you. A pope didn't die on the cross for you. A priest didn't die on the cross for you. One person, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, rose again and so our confidence must be in a person not just well yeah I know I know some things about Jesus no do you know Jesus are you trusting in him well I think I'm going to get to heaven because I I read all those things I know I know all the facts man I I met people who could quote the Bible better than I can and yet I realized talking to them they're not even saved it's not about the information it's about the reality of do you know the Savior himself Because he's the only one that can save you. And so here, a subtle difference, but yet a, a critical thing. Our trust should be in someone, not in something. And notice as well from verse 12, Paul says, I know, he says, there whom I have committed to him until that day. No, i know what i've committed to him to whom i've committed myself again th- to me the implication there it reminds me that we are indeed supposed to make a personal commitment spiritually we don't like to talk about commitments in our day and age oh anything i mean but don't make me committed don't ask me to be committed when it's convenient of course but committed come on that's too hard Listen, the Bible is very clear that commitment is a validating thing for our spiritual life. Paul says, I know whom I believe and persuaded. He is able to keep what I've committed to him. What did Paul commit to him? His life himself. He committed himself to the Lord. And I cannot emphasize enough this morning that it is important to commit ourselves to him, to the only one who can save you. This is very, very important. Have you personally made a decision at some point to enter a commitment to Jesus? You don't just kind of gradually become a Christian. Well, I hung around Christians, so I, you just kind of like gradually, it just kind of happens. Well, you can sit in a garage for the next three years. You're not going to turn into a car, I hate to tell you. <laughs> but I was there every Sunday in the garage. doesn't happen that way. you must be born spiritually Something must, there's a time when a commitment has to happen like a marriage you know, you know whether you're married or not you entered a commitment you made a conscious choice at a set time in your life that you know today I am making a commitment to enter into a commitment this is essential spiritually either you have done this or you've not yet you don't gradually become a Christian because you grow up in a Christian home. At some point, you, I must make a commitment to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to genuinely do that. And I love the phrase that Paul uses, those three words there, before we move on. Underline this little phrase, if you're an underliner, where he says, verse 12 there, that he is able, that he is able. I love that statement about the Lord. Paul was comforted and confident because he was persuaded that Jesus was able. Unlike people who have weaknesses and frailties and shortcomings or may not be committed or faithful to us, Jesus is fully able to help you. He is able to accomplish what you can. I love First Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Jude says in Jude 24 regarding our spiritual security that he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the throne of God with exceeding joy. What a wonderful thing. The loyalty of the Lord to finish the good work that he began in our lives. Well, having just spoken of the loyalty of the Lord unto us, Paul now Almost responsibly exhorts Timothy that we should show loyalty in response. He then says, verse 13 and 14 hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So here we see both the loyalty that we should demonstrate towards the things of God or the things of the Lord, and he speaks as well of where the power comes from to do that. First of all, take note with me there in verse 13, the loyalty that we both should and can demonstrate towards the things of the Lord. He says, verse 13 there, to hold fast to the pattern of sound words that Timothy had received from Paul. Now, when he talks there about the pattern of sound words, it's a reference to doctrine or teaching or or as well also the way of ministry that Paul operated in. That word sound there in verse 13 is where we get our English word hygiene. That's the Greek term that's used there where we translate today in the English hygiene, which speaks of that which is clean or which is healthy and therefore promotes health. And what an interesting picture. The same idea applies for spiritual health. What is needed to promote spiritual health is sound, spiritually healthy, hygienic, clean doctrine. Sound, healthy doctrine or teaching from God's word is important for a believer to be receiving if they are going to become and continue to remain healthy. It's that sound, healthy teaching that promotes spiritual health. Being fed and supplied, sound doctrine ensures spiritual health. So, what Timothy had heard and received from Paul, sound doctrine, and was now passing on to others. Paul uses that term there, the pattern of sound words. The word pattern there is the, the Greek where we would get schematic, a, a plan something that's used to follow and to replicate, to repeat, kind of a model. And what he's speaking of, no doubt, of his own ministry style. Paul was someone who speaks of how he taught the full counsel of God. This pattern of ministry, of conveying sound doctrine, giving people sound teaching as an important model to be replicated or followed. And that's why he says to Timothy in the exhortation, verse 13, Timothy, hold fast to this. Hold fast, he says, to this pattern of sound words or sound doctrine which you've heard and learned from me. Hang on to this, he's saying. Don't waver from it. Don't let go from this model of ministry, from this form of healthy teaching that promotes spiritual health. Stay in the lane. Be anchored despite temptations to be pulled away or pressures that might say, you know, you've got to try this. This is more what people like nowadays. He says, Timothy, no, hold fast, hold the anchor. See, there's always going to be temptations to pursue other things. There are always going to be pressures that blow against the church and through the church to go after all kinds of other things, to pull us away. And the Bible is saying we have to hold on to the pattern of sound doctrine, of healthy teaching, which keeps people spiritually healthy. The church needs to remain on that path of ministry and timothy needed to be loyal to what he knew was best for the health of god's sheep this is what paul's exhorting him to do in verse 14 he says to timothy that good thing which was committed to you keep he says by the holy spirit who dwells in us again the word keep same term guard protect with military effort shield and guard and protect what was that good thing that had been committed to Timothy. Well, that good thing that had been committed to Timothy is no likely a reference to simply the gospel, the biblical gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Like a treasure of wealth entrusted to a steward by a master, God had entrusted to Paul and now to Timothy and every generation of people afterwards in the church this treasure of the stewardship of the biblical gospel message that we've been committed to our trust to take and to preserve the accuracy of and the purity of it and to, to use it to facilitate conveying the truth of how people come to know Jesus Christ, how people have their sins forgiven, how people get saved, how people go to heaven. And he exhorts Timothy to be loyal to God regarding this stewardship And as believers, certainly we should always remember that we indeed have a spiritual stewardship that's been committed to us in our generation of the church to to maintain and to protect that which is right and good for spiritual health. Sound doctrine, healthy biblical teaching, giving people the word of God rightly interpreted in context, conveying to them the truths of the word of God. Healthy teaching so that people can become healthy followers of Christ. The biblical gospel that we would protect and preserve the message of the biblical gospel message. Giving that to each generation so that souls can be saved. Models of ministry that are healthy models of ministry, patterns, a schematic of of how to do ministry well like Paul the Apostle did in the early church that we'd embrace that and continue to hold to that pattern. And you know, sometimes we find ourselves in the church, I believe, tempted to let go of such things to try other things and God is saying, no, hold fast to that. Hold fast to these things. These are what human souls need. Now, notice secondarily where that desire and power and ability comes from for us to remain loyal we're challenged to remain loyal ourselves but where does the strength come from well he was to find his motivation paul says verse 13 in faith and love which are in christ jesus in other words i sense paul saying timothy here's your motivation for remaining loyal Uh, he says your personal faith in jesus is what will help you remain faithful to jesus and the love that you're experiencing from Christ Jesus will be the thing, like Paul would say, the love of Christ compels me to be loyal in return to Him. Notice again, that the motive to be loyal stems from not a, a faithfulness to a cause, but it stems from faithfulness and loyalty to a person who we're having a relationship with. That we want to be devoted To Jesus, that we want to remain loyal to the Lord in response to who he is to us. And here's the awesome thing. Verse 14, we're not expected to do that in our own strength and ability. Do You see what he says? Verse 14 there, that good thing that was committed to you. Here's how we're to remain loyal to things. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. What a wonderful encouragement. God asks us to be loyal, but he says, look, I know you can't do it. I want you to be faithful, but there's no way you're going to do that, Tony. So I'm asking you to do something, and I'm actually also going to give you the power to do what I'm asking you to do. What a great deal. Why would you want to serve any person other than Jesus who's alive from the dead? Oh, we have this great religious leader in our religious system. Right, but he's dead. He may have said a few good things or asked you to do some good moral thing, but... Where's the power to live like that? Jesus is alive. And God has given to us the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell within us so that we can live according to what He asks of us. When we get saved, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit of God enters inside of us. See verse 14? The Holy Spirit who dwells in us. When a person chooses to make a commitment to Jesus that day you realize that you're a sinful person, that Jesus is the Savior, that your sins can only be forgiven by Him and you can only go to heaven through Him and only have a relationship with God through Him, through a person, and you pray a genuine prayer to call upon the name of the Lord, it's at that moment we talk about a conversion, being born again spiritually, That spiritual life begins. At that moment, the reason why is because when you pray that prayer, God sends His Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of you. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life, into the part of your being which is spiritual. The person of the Spirit of God comes within, and He lives and dwells in us. And one of the main purposes and functions of the Holy Spirit of God, being inside a believer, is to help us do what God desires. To help us do what God asks of us. Jesus, when he spoke of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside the believer, referred to him, remember, as the helper. What a great description. Why does the Holy Spirit come dwell inside of us and why do we need that? Because we need help. (laughs) I'm trying to live a Christian. I'm really trying to be a Christian. That's the whole problem. You're trying to be a Christian nobody can be a christian christ can live within you and and live out through you the power but this is the whole purpose of why god gave us of his spirit the person the third person of the trinity the holy spirit comes in and jesus said he will be your internal helper he will help you have a relationship with god he will help you live for god's will rather than your will He will help you overcome sin. He will empower you to do what's right and to be loyal to the Lord who loved you and died on the cross for you in response to Him. He will empower you and help you from within, giving you strength to be faithful and to do what's right and to be devoted and keep on track. Again, perhaps, honestly, you are here this morning and you have been trying on your own effort to be faithful to the Lord to not sin in some area, or to to live more committed to Jesus and, and to do what you know is right, listen, can I help you? That will never work on your own. It will be perpetually frustrating. What needs to happen is you need to learn to believe and yield to the biblical reality that the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And He is the helper from within to help you live the way god wants you to live to obey the word of god to overcome sin to be a faithful committed person in your relationship with the lord romans 8 says those who are in the flesh cannot please god but you're not in the flesh if the spirit of god dwells in you now if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he's not his but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's where the power comes to live for God. And Galatians tells us in Galatians 5, part of the fruit of the spirit, when we're abiding in a relationship with the Lord, part of the fruit of the spirit is one of the things faithfulness or we might say loyalty the ability beyond your human capacity to start living loyal unto the lord to start living committed to jesus devoted to jesus to be a person as you live out your life that would be a faithful person not an unreliable person a person who can honor commitments because faithfulness is being produced within you by the Spirit of God helping you. Now, though the Lord is always faithful, Paul says in verse 15, part of this life, unfortunately, is sometimes we will endure the heartbreak of people not remaining loyal to us. Look what Paul says. This you know, apparently it was an obvious thing, all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom, he says, are Figelis and Hermogenes. So Paul indicates by his own personal experience having been abandoned by people in his life. Many of whom you would thought would have remained by his side and been there in support of him. At this time, again, Paul's going through, remember he's in a dungeon, one of the hardest times in his life. He's going through a time of great difficulty and stress and hardship, suffering in prison. No doubt he's a man. He's lonely. He's discouraged. And notice, it says, verse 15, not some, but Paul says, all those in the region of Asia had turned away from Paul. He even identifies two men specifically by name there as a part of those who had turned away, Phygelus and Hermogenes. He said, among whom are these two men, as if maybe to almost indicate even Phygelus and Hermogenes? I mean, all those in Asia turned away, but among them, even... Perhaps Paul thought, and many others maybe kind of thought among those two guys, they'd never abandon Paul. I mean, they're his comrades. They're his closest friends. I mean, there's no other people, yeah, but jealous and her, and again, to this degree that perhaps even the most unlikely individuals that you would have never thought would have abandoned or forsaken him or not stood in support of him, that instead they walked away, they left him alone, they didn't come to his defense. And Paul was enduring this painful experience of people whom he was in a relationship with who at a set point in time had walked away from him. They abandoned the relationship. They didn't stand in support of Paul anymore. They, they walked away. They no longer stood by his side. And I imagine, listen, Paul was a tenacious guy, but he was a human being. And I imagine it must have been very difficult and probably hurtful and quite discouraging for Paul to go through that. To have a mass, if you would, group of people who you would have thought you know, would have stood by him. It's interesting he refers to all those in Asia. If you look at the book of Acts and Paul's ministry influence, not just in Asia but other places. I mean, again, let's be honest. Paul poured out his life for people. I mean, this guy went around planning churches and sharing the gospel and enduring things. I mean this is a you know a gentleman who, in the book of Acts, you look at his life, he was someone who gave of himself faithfully served people and made personal sacrifices to minister to individuals and prayed with people and counseled people, and you know did so many things to stand by other people in their hardest hour, to show up when their life was in a mess or a crisis. And you would have thought, now at a time when Paul actually needed somebody to come stand by him in a hard time, that people would have been lining up on a reservation list. Hey, when can I go? How can I go help? But instead, tragically, Paul faces the exact opposite. Not only did they not remain devoted or dedicated, people turned away. They abandoned him. They didn't stand together with him. And look, part of life, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not figured it out yet, and part of relationships... Unfortunately, in this world of sin and selfish people, will unfortunately include times in your life when people aren't going to remain loyal to you. You're going to be abandoned. At times, you're going to be forsaken. You're going to find yourself facing the reality of somebody abandoning ship, people turning away. Not everyone is going to remain loyal, not everyone's going to honor their commitments. Not everyone's going to remain faithful to you. And sometimes it may be the person that you least expected would become unloyal to you. Perhaps some of you here this morning, you've experienced that reality in some personal relationship. Maybe you've experienced it in a partnership where you've kind of worked together with someone and then at some point they abandoned and they were no longer loyal, they walked away. This happens. But let me encourage you with this. Jesus was perfect, And he treated everybody properly and people abandoned Jesus. And so I say that for this reason. He understands the pain and struggle associated with being forsaken. And there is no therapy class or anyone that can help you more than Jesus if you've had someone abandon you. Now in contrast to the abandonment, Paul points out, despite the unfaithfulness of so many who turned away and forsook him, He honors one man who did the opposite as a faithful friend. He says, verse 16, the Lord grant mercy, however, to the household of Anisaphorus, for he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chain, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant mercy to him that he may find mercy from the Lord. Notice again, in that day, that eternal day we talked about, and you know how well, how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So from Anisiphorus, Paul shows us here the beauty and the value of when a person does the exact opposite, when they remain loyal, when they remain faithful to another person. He describes how in a time when many were abandoning him, he says, this one guy, he remained loyal, man. He demonstrated his faithfulness. He actually sought Paul out and did what he could to help and bless Paul and stand by him. And I think it really mattered to Paul That's why he wrote it down because this really stood out to him and he thought it was a wonderful example. He describes what this guy did to show his loyalty and faithfulness there in the text. Paul says, while I was here in prison, he wasn't ashamed of me or my chains. In fact, he says, this guy actually sought, he traveled all the way from Ephesus to Rome and he sought me out and found what underground dungeon I was in to come and show support to me and loyal to me, again, without a a formal directory, no lookup system. He couldn't Google them or, you know, figure out what. uh, He had to go from prison to prison. And think of this, looking for what? A prisoner to associate himself with the prisoner, the apostle Paul. And he went around searching out and diligently looking for Paul, asking where he was until he found him, diligently searching him around. When he arrived there in Rome, Paul, he said, he zealously looked until he found me but he was willing to associate himself with Paul the Apostle. And he, and he wasn't ashamed, even if that meant personal risk, even if no one else wanted to stand with him, he was willing to sacrifice because he loved Paul personally and he wanted to make sure he demonstrated that. And he wanted to stand by Paul's side and do what he could to help and encourage him in a hard time. This guy was what we might call a, a true friend. The Bible says a friend loves at all times and a brother's born for adversity anisiphorus is a picture of a loyal comrade a faithful brother and listen leadership can be a very lonely place and even people like an apostle paul need people in their life who just love them as a person and who care for them just as an individual and would remain faithful to them and to their work even maybe when others would turn away or choose not to Paul says there in verse 18, this guy, he says, even when I was back in Ephesus, Paul says, you remember how many ways he ministered to me. Perhaps it just seems that Anisiphorus was someone who just tended to be somebody in Paul's life that he just looked for a way. How can I alleviate his burden? What could I do, maybe a a task or something to just make his load a little bit lighter or to assist him or bless him somehow? Perhaps he saw it maybe even just to be different than others. And maybe when others were complaining, he thought, I'm not going to complain. Everybody else does that. But Paul says he found so many ways to minister to me. And I love what he says, verse 16. Look at it with me there. He says, he often refreshed me. I love that. He says, this guy, he often refreshed me. He energized or inspired me. That is, he wasn't a draining person. He wasn't somebody that exhausted Paul when he was around high maintenance. Instead, he conducted himself in a manner that brought refreshment. Paul would basically be saying, man, being with that guy is so refreshing. Whenever I'm with him, he just refreshes me, man. He just has a way to bring such refreshment. And he says, in light of that, Two times, verse 16 and verse 18, may the Lord grant mercy to him, bless his house, and reward this man on that day when he stands before Jesus for being a faithful comrade. I think Anisiphorus is a great example for us to seek to model his loyalty, taking initiative, maybe at times to go seek out somebody who needs a little bit of help or encouragement. And that we'd actually go seek them out and, and take the initiative to sacrifice, hey, I just feel like I need to go seek that person out to encourage them or do something to, to bless them. That we'd be a loyal friend to those who God's given us relationship. That we'd find different ways to minister to people. Maybe it's practical ways. Maybe it's spiritual ways to just speak words of encouragement or something, but find ways to minister to people. But above all else, that we'd make an effort like Onesiphorus to be someone who refreshes others. Hey, ask yourself this question. When you spend time with people, afterwards, do they feel refreshed or do they feel drained? Really, we should be conscious of this because sometimes, even in good intention, you know, we can seek to be very... Helpful, we think in somebody's life and the reality is we are draining, sucking the life out of them. How wonderful to be more conscious of how can I be a refreshment when I spend time with that person? That when we spend time with people, instead of draining them or exhausting them, that we purpose to conduct ourselves in a way where they would feel refreshed, renewed, What a wonderful thing. The Bible says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, right in the book of Acts. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So if the Lord's presence is within us, when we're in other people's presence, may bring a time of refreshing as the Lord works through our lives. Let's stand together and pray.